your eyes open this week as you notice some of your natural man tendencies. Coming to recognize the natural man's tendencies towards laziness and avoiding pain has been so helpful for me to combat those and instead hone in on doing what I know I should do and turning to my Savior to be filled with his love and help. I want to win this war and to be eternally happy. Did you find yourself falling into anarchy or tyranny instead of sticking with God's law? And aren't those anatomy of peace boxes uncannily accurate? We find ourselves always referring to them in regards to ourselves and in observing people around us and in the books we read. In many ways, it helps us to understand with Christ-like love and his perspective how we're all on a journey learning and progressing. We feel the tremendous blessing it is to have the power of the atonement that we can turn to for strength, to put off the natural man and for his redeeming grace that is there when we mess up. So, so far we have learned that we are in a battle where Satan is actively defying us with his fiery darts, but we have girded our loins with truth and have chosen the Lord to be our captain. We have put on the breastplate of righteousness by learning the army rules, signing a contract with the Lord, and receiving training in the army's boot camp. Previously, we learned what our role is in the army as we looked at our gifts, talents, interests, and passions. Knowing your mission or your orders is going to come into play now, so if you didn't do that exercise, I'd invite you to go back and do it. With that assignment in hand, we are going to go pack our bags in preparation to leave basic training and head out on the march that will take us to the battlefield. Applying what we have learned by living it and sharing it is what having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is really all about. It is the march we are heading out on. Our feet symbolize movement, action, and direction. And what cause should we be most anxiously engaged in? That of preparing people to stand before the Lord at that great judgment day. And how do we prepare them to stand before their maker with a conscience void of guilt? We share the good news of the gospel with them, that through our Savior, Jesus Christ, we can be made clean from our sins. If they will come unto Christ, have faith in him, repent of their sins, be baptized in his name and be sanctified by receiving the Holy Ghost, they will be able to stand before their Savior in peace at that judgment day because they will be spiritually clean. Every good army sends out recruitment officers. It's no different with the Lord's army. He sends his missionaries throughout the world so that every person has the opportunity to hear this good news and to learn the commandments that bring happiness. These missionaries then extend to those that are willing the Lord's offer to have them come join his ranks, the rank or army that offers blessings, power, grace, and protection. The Lord not only has recruitment officers here on earth, but he also has missionaries serving in the spirit world, sharing the gospel, so all have equal opportunity of accepting they are being given the opportunity to accept the Lord's gospel, laws, and covenants. But without a physical body, they cannot perform the ordinance of baptism. That is where we, here on earth, need to perform that work in our holy temples. Remember, we are not here on earth just for ourselves. We have an obligation to help all of God's children, 
Remember, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing. This also applies to those on the other side of the veil. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, verse 15, it says, And now, my dearly beloved brethren and sisters, let me assure you that these are principles in relation to the dead and the living that cannot be lightly passed over as pertaining to our salvation. For their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. As Paul says concerning the fathers, that they without us cannot be made perfect, neither can we without our dead be made perfect. Close quote. We are all one big family, and our goal is to link us all together through the blessings of the Lord's sealing covenants. Our highest goal is to help our siblings and ourselves to receive the highest blessings as found only in the Lord's temple covenants. Whether it is one of our assignments to be an official recruitment officer who wears the name tag or not, we are all obligated to share this good news through both word and example. There is an enemy out there sweeping the land. It is our responsibility to warn our neighbors, not sit idly by leaving our neighbors vulnerable when we have been blessed with the truth of where to find peace and protection. Wearing the name tag or not, we are all constantly on a mission. Every thought to do good is an invitation from the Holy Ghost to serve the Lord. Some of these thoughts to do good may be so seemingly simple that we are tempted to ignore them. But as we prove our faithfulness in being obedient to even the little invitations, then the Lord will entrust us with even bigger assignments. The Savior's parable of the talents is a good example of this. Some of our overall mission themes we discovered are a part of this. The Lord has blessed us with gifts, talents, interests, and passions that will be very useful in building up the Lord's kingdom and bringing people unto Him. Whether you are the camp cook, weapons specialist, lieutenant, or a recruitment officer, we are all needed for just what we can do. We may think some of these missions are rather temporal, but when we are fulfilling them with the right focus, to glorify God and serve His children, then they really are of a spiritual nature. For example, I know doctors who, when they see you outside of their office, will ask you how you were doing in regards to a recent problem you just went to see them for. And I know other doctors that when they see you, they don't even acknowledge that you were just in their office. They don't want to even encourage any questions or conversations outside of work. They do not mix work and pleasure. To them, that is work, and it stays at work. The first doctor I mentioned is fulfilling their mission in life to help bring healing and physical health to God's children. They are striving to be like the master healer, our savior. The mission is their life. They love it. They care. They are fulfilling a spiritual mission. The second doctor example is in it for the money. Theirs is a temporal job. Whether your mission was to create beauty, impart wisdom, protect the weak, promote freedom, feed the hungry, liberate the captive, bring order, help draw people together, or whatever your personal mission was, we are doing a spiritual work when our desire is to help God and his children. So even those seemingly simple promptings 
to go learn a certain topic, or to organize your office, is all working together to help you in fulfilling your mission for the Lord. The key is to learn to recognize the promptings of the Spirit and to act upon them. President Thomas S. Monson was a good example of this. He talked about the need to be first responders and comparing us like emergency specialists, that we need to act upon those quickly like we are in an emergency helping someone. Keeping our lives centered on Jesus Christ, which we learned how to do by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, will help us maintain that eternal perspective so that we don't get caught up in shifting our focus to that of a temporal, worldly nature. Because our allegiance is to God, we won't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and will freely speak of God's hand in our life. In all we do, whether it is as a teacher, a doctor, an architect, or whatever our mission is, we will exude from our very beings this light of Christ, and people will want to know more about what makes us happy. Remember, a life centered on Christ where we are fulfilling our missions brings us true joy, and people notice that joy we are feeling. They will ask us about it, and we can share with them the good news of the gospel. We mentioned before that our feet symbolize direction and movement. The direction our feet are pointing represents this focus on Christ. It is maintaining an eternal perspective, remembering who we are, why we're here, and where we are going. Who are we? Children of a loving Heavenly Father. Why are we here? To learn how to become like God and be obedient to His commandments and to help others who are also on this journey. Where are we going? We are going to return to stand before our Lord at that judgment day to account for our choices here on earth. This march, where we are living what we have learned, is going to lead us to becoming truly committed to the Lord's army, or in other words, truly converted in the Lord's church. One thing that helps us to become more fully committed are the sacrifices we make. Joseph Smith taught, quote, A religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has the power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. Close quote. One kind of sacrifice we make is to put off the natural man and instead choose to become a saint through the atonement of Christ. In our last audio, we talked about how pride is the downfall of men. Pride is competition between what the natural man wants and what God wants, as conveyed to us through our conscience or light of Christ. We must symbolically sacrifice the natural man on the altar and choose to follow God. That is what we are symbolically doing every time we partake of the sacrament. The other thing this march, or the living of the commandments, is going to do is, as Joseph Smith said, increase our faith. John 7.17 quotes the Savior saying, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now that we have gained a testimony or a belief in God and his laws, now it is time to go from believing to knowing God's laws are true. The only way we can truly know of its truthfulness is through repetitive living of the commandments and the keeping of our covenants. This gives us that sure witness, because as we are obedient and faithful, 
we experience the fruits that come from living them. This is the difference between having a testimony and being truly converted. When we are truly converted, we become steadfast and immovable. That is the goal with putting on the armor of God. Quoting Ephesians again, quote, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Close quote. And Luke chapter 22 verse 32 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Close quote. We need that armor of God, because Satan desires to have us too. We need to become converted but it is a process and takes diligent, consistent effort. We see even Peter, an amazing apostle of the Lord, needed the Savior's prayers and hadn't arrived at a full conversion yet. It is going to take work and patience, but when we are converted, we will then be an even better servant for the Lord. We will be able to help others. But before we leave on this march, we've got to pack our bags. For that, I'm going to have my youth help me, as we all went on a backpack trip last year. Thanks for joining me. I was wondering if you could help me with some of the symbolism that could be found in our backpacking trip we went on last year. So, first of all, what were some of the preparations that we made to go on our trip? We had to look at the trails and... See which ones we did not want to go and which ones we did want to go. True. We mapped out where we wanted to go, how we got there. Any other thoughts? We packed all the essential stuff. Yeah, we did. I know for me, I also, we were going, I don't know, what was it? Two four day miles? Day, day hike. It, yeah, it was a backpacking trip where we spent the night. So we, we went for two days. And I wanted to be in some physical shape. So that was one thing that I did to prepare. And But yes, let's talk about packing our bags. Did anybody have a hard time choosing what to pack? It seemed like there were a lot of good things that we could pack in our bags. What were some of the things that you found? Um, that um, you, you wanted food. Lots of snacks. <laughs> that was a concern. That way we won't starve. Yeah. It was easy to overpack. It was easy to overpack. I was like, okay, I'm going to get sweaty. Let's get some extra clothes. Let's do extra socks. Hmm, what if my shoes get wet? Should I have an extra pair of shoes? And then pretty soon my bag was... Stuffed. It was stuffed. So I couldn't even close it. What did you guys find was essential to take on the trip? A sleeping bag and a tent. That was, that was another thing. I was like, wow, this tent is super heavy. And what did we end up resorting to? Tossing it out. Yeah, we said, ah, oh, that's too heavy. We did this little tube tent tarp. And the sleeping bag was very heavy, but I wasn't willing to go without it. So then I justified having that one. The sleeping bag was definitely essential. It was really cold. <laughs> it was cold. We were going really high. We also did look at like the weather 
and what what temperature is going to be so we knew we needed some good sleeping bags. Yeah, so we were better be prepared. In the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this was a place that had snow clear up until July. It was pretty cold. I know I even had to simplify, and some of the others that went with us, they said, I'm wearing the same clothes. I'm not even packing extra clothes. I'm just going to wear the same ones so that their bag would be lighter. And what happens when we overpack our bags? Did you guys notice any certain ones being affected by their bag being too full? I think our grandpa. <laughs> he took on a lot for us. He says, I've got all these cooking supplies and we're going to take those and, and then we'll be able to cook us some great meal up there at the top. We even took dehydrated foods so that they wouldn't weigh hardly anything. No canned goods or anything. Um, so how can we liken that to life? In what ways do we pack our bags for life? And what is this hike we're going on? Our spiritual life. Yeah, it represents our spiritual journey. Where is it that we're trying to go? What is the top of the mountain symbolically? At our home in heaven. Yeah, we want to make it back to our home in heaven for sure. So how do we determine when going through life what would be essential to keep in? The scriptures. Reading the scriptures every day. Fantastic. Prayer. Prayer. Having a good family relationship. Yeah, putting our family first and building that relationship. Or what symbolism could we find in the fact that when we overpack our bags, then we get weighed down and pretty soon we are exhausted? What does that look like in life? Because there are so many good things to do in life that sometimes you just want to volunteer and do them all, but you can't carry all of it. Yeah, it's true. It's like having the extra set of clothes. It's like, well, that's a good thing. I... You know, I, I think that's really important to do, and that's how it is with life. We have all these great things that come up that we think, oh, that's a really good thing to do. That'll make me a better person. But then our bag gets so full, what happens when, like, say, if I had a bag that was so full that I couldn't zip it up, what's going to happen to the stuff in the bag? It's going to fall and go bouncing down the mountain. Yeah, it's going to fall out, and then... I don't know about you, but it seems like to me, when I get so busy, it's the essential things that end up falling out. Like, oh, I didn't make it to read my scriptures today. What are some of the things you guys find fall out when you get too busy? Spending time with your family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, have you guys noticed any difference in being in isolation? There's lots of family time. It's true. It simplifies things. There's lots of things that we have not been able to do that maybe we might realize that there's a lot of things that we do that it'd be okay if we didn't do them. Yeah, all of a sudden you realize, oh, maybe it's okay if I don't immerse myself in, in every... Soccer. Yeah, sport or music thing or dance thing. or There's so many wonderful things out there, but maybe those we've discovered really aren't essential. But when we schedule ourselves so much, what happens to us? What have you found as some of the beneficial parts of having this isolation and downtime? 
Well, I think it helps us reevaluate what's in our backpack, you know, figuratively. Instead. Yeah. yeah. Gives us a sure. chance to take a break and, and think about it. Mm-hmm. Take it all out, and then we put it all back in, and then we know what's most important. Yeah, that are Go ahead. Like where we take it all out and we examine it, see which ones are worthy and which ones are not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Dad did a, an analogy for our family once where he had this jar and there was all sizes of balls. And when we put in all the tiny balls and then the medium-sized balls and then the big balls, we found that the big balls didn't fit anymore. But if we actually did it the other way around where we put in the big ones, those representing our essential things, and then the medium-sized, those that are really good but not essential necessarily, and then the, even the small ones are more good things, but... Everything falls into place when we focus on getting the big things in first. I was wondering why it is that some of the biggest things, like the bigger marbles, are the most important, or the heavier things in our bags, like like our sleeping bag and our water, the things that are most essential seem to be heavier. Mm. Why that is. Because it bears more weight. I always spend time with light things then eventually our mind turns to fluffy yeah how could you apply that to your spiritual those things that are most hard and heavy in what way do they make us stronger they're hard to do and they prepare you like if you pair for a backpacking trip you go strengthen your legs to pair to spiritually i guess go backpacking you can pair that part too yeah. By doing hard things. Yeah, have you guys ever noticed that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward? Think about when you do something really hard, how do you feel when you're done? You're really good. Yeah, have you guys had any experiences that way? Or it's like I know when I got to the top of the mountain, boy, I felt really good. It was exhilarating. And I think the hard things that we do help to give us that focus on what's most important in life as they really mold us and shape us into being who we're supposed to be. So what might be some natural man tendencies that we have a tendency to hang on to, but which are really going to weigh us down in this journey of life? Maybe you're trying to fit in with your friends, so you try and go be with them all the time, and you miss family time, you miss scripture study, you miss going to church. You're just so focused on some things that you totally miss getting in all the essential stuff. Wow, that's that's an awesome thought. Yeah, we learned about lots of things in our last podcast from the Anatomy of Peace Boxes and some of those too might be applicable and as far as our pride gets in the way from becoming who we want to be. If we think about this journey being one that's taking us towards our Savior, then our pride might get in the way, our selfishness might get in the way, disobedience. Um, like Cade was saying, our, our focus. If our focus becomes an allegiance maybe to man instead of God, that would get in the way. So what were some things that that you thought of or that helped you when the going got tough, when you're hiking and hiking and you are exhausted. Thinking about, uh, I like to think about the end goal, you know, the, what I'm going to see, and even if you can't see it, you know, from where you're at. Oftentimes, you might be able to see it from a distance before you start your hike or whatever, but you could kind of have 
gain a perspective of where you're going. And if you keep that in your mind, sometimes that helps. That's a really good analogy. You think about all those times we were hiking and we were in the woods and it's not like we could see the very top of the mountain, but we have in our mind, it's there. I want to get there. That's my goal. And I think it's that way with life. We know we want to become like our savior. We can't see him, but we're just going to keep focusing on, on that's what I want to be like. And every decision we make is that, that focus I want to become like the Savior. What would Jesus do? Okay. And sometimes if you don't prepare, then I feel like we can settle for mediocrity and find this, maybe it's this beautiful place, but you still settle for mediocrity and don't finish with your goal and just say, okay, I'll, I'll, I think I'll stay here at this lake instead of going and reaching my goal. That's awesome. So true, so true. We've got to have that end in mind. Something that I think helps to keep going is just finding joy in the journey. Like when you're on a hike and just looking around you and seeing seeing the things that are pretty that you came here to see and just focus on that and acknowledge that it'll take just one step at a time. You can't Climb the mountain in a second and just find the joy in the journey. Yeah, those are wonderful thoughts. It makes me think about, too, when we were learning about the breastplate of righteousness and gaining that testimony and learning all of God's laws and, and having a conviction that God's laws are true. In what way is our going on a hike kind of like going from testimony to conversion? So, for example, I heard about this hike from somebody They said, you know, this is an amazing hike. It's one of the most beautiful hikes in Idaho. It's like they were sharing their testimony with me. And I thought, wow, I want to go there. But I couldn't take their experience and make it into me. It's like I had to experience it for myself. In what ways is that like life in that we need to go from having a testimony to being truly converted? I think if someone believes we can see that, or if we believe that we can see that the same as that person, so we have that belief that we can see that same, then we still have to take that and go forward with that and try it out, test it, and see if that's really true, what they said. And oftentimes, if, if we go and find out that that's, that was right, that was, the most, that was the most amazing experience, then we can oftentimes trust that person in other things as well. Just the same with the testimony. If we gain a testimony in one thing, you know, gain a testimony in the prophet, gain a testimony in the scriptures, then we'll gain that testimony in, in other things that are related as well. Yeah, for sure. I think it reminds me of, like, say if somebody was to say, wow, that hike was really hard, and then you go and do it, then you know that was really hard, that it really does strengthen you or... You really do know that it is a beautiful hike, whereas before you just kind of believed, but now you know. And now that you've experienced that, you can then come back and maybe give people advice. Oh, when you go on that hike, make sure you take extra water or make sure you take sunscreen or make sure you exercise really good for the month before that. You know, all these things that we're then able to help other people. And I think it's the same way with the gospel. 
when we take what we know and live it, then we know on a new level. It's not just a testimony of something, a belief in something. It's a knowledge. I know it's true because I've experienced it. I know what it feels like um, to experience those fruits of living it. So I had another thought. This reminded me of the Ten Virgins story. And Elder Bednar, he talked about how the lamp represented the testimony. For example, they were able to use their light. Other people were able to enjoy that light, right? So I can share my testimony. Wow, this hike was amazing. Or the gospel is true. And people can hear that, but they won't really know it for themselves, right? It's like I can't give them the testimony, The oil inside the lamp is like the conversion. So I can share my light with them, my testimony, but I can't share my conversion with them, that oil in the lamp. So it kind of reminded me of an analogy I heard where, say, you're lifting weights and you want somebody else to get strong too. And so you can be setting this good example for them, but until they lift the weights, they're not going to get any stronger, right? Does that make any sense? It's, It's like we can't do the work for them, and that's what conversion is. So I was studying about the parable of the ten virgins and realized that the parable of the talents followed right after this. And it made me wonder, because I thought this totally fit in with what we were talking about, why would the parable of the talents follow right after this story? Is it all right if we read that for a second? Yeah. Okay, so this is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. 
Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in both those parables that go back to back, let's see if we can learn maybe some of the similarities. So both the bridegroom and the master, they left for a long time. Another thing um, I forgot to mention in our, our last one when we talked about the ten virgins was the fact that the bridegroom paid this great price. When he went to sign that marriage contract for his bride, he paid this great price or gave this great gift. And here we see the master, he is turning over his goods to his servants and giving them some money. And then um, both later they come and we find that some are prepared and happy to see him and others are not ready and in a bit of panic or fearful, right? Those that are ready, they're welcomed into the house or the marriage feast or they're welcomed into the joy of the Lord. So in the parable of the ten virgins, what did they need to do to be ready? need to have a testimony yeah they needed to have a testimony and what else conversion conversion they needed to be converted so what did the servants in our story need to have faith they needed to have faith they had to be faithful over their stewardship right what did they have to do be strong working yeah make those talents increase what'd you say be strong working. Yeah, work hard. Exactly. What do you think it meant when it said, according to their several abilities, he divvied out these talents? What would that represent? He knew what they could handle, and so he gave them according to what they could handle. Kind of like the Lord. Uh, do stuff that we can overcome. Yeah. It made me think of, too, our gifts and talents that the Lord has given us. According to those, he gives us different responsibilities unique to each of us. So let's let's think about talents for a minute. So if talent is money, and money is simply something everybody's willing to exchange for other goods and services, what could these talents represent that the master gave to each of his servants, and then they in turn lent it out to money changers and received more back? What has the Lord given to you that he expects you to go and increase? Gospel. Ah, he's given you the knowledge of the gospel. So he wants you to go, and how would you increase it? Teach it to other people that they may know too. Yeah, awesome. What else has the Lord given you that he wants you to go and increase? He's given us talents, and we can in turn increase the gifts and talents that he has given us to be able to help other people. Yeah, that's awesome. He's promised us that if we use them, he'll help us to multiply them. And especially when we fulfill our missions by using our gifts and talents and act upon those promptings that the Lord gives us, then he helps to multiply our talents. And, and most often he's looking for us to share those with others in by serving them or by performing or whatever it is. It's by serving others that that's what he's most pleased with. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about these missions representing these little promptings that we receive. 
And when we are true to those promptings to go serve somebody, to act, you know, something that's going to help us to fulfill our missions, then he gives us more. He entrusts us with more promptings to go and serve and help him in building up his kingdom. Another thing I thought of too is the fact that when we work, Jared mentioned that it takes work, all these take work, that if we're studying the scriptures and we really work and pray and seek to understand knowledge and he sees that that's valuable to us, that we want inspiration and we write that down, then he blesses us with more. So how is multiplying these talents that we talked about going to help us to enter into the joy of the Lord? So if I share the gospel with somebody, how's that going to help me enter into the joy of the Lord? I think there's some scripture that says, how great will your joy be if you bring many souls unto him? Something like that. Yeah, how great shall be your joy if you bring one soul unto me, and how great will be your joy if you bring many souls unto me, right? We're going to be with them in heaven, and they are going to be so grateful. Heavenly Father is so grateful when we find his lost coins, his lost sheep, you know, all those parables he tells. How about, how does it help us to enter into the joy of the Lord when we share our talents with others? It blesses them and us. It does. Yeah, there's a scripture that says, this is Mark chapter 4, and he says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. He's like, okay, seriously, listen. And he said unto them, take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he hath. So it's like what we were were talking about. Whatever we do for others is going to be multiplied in heaven for us. How we treated others, Heavenly Father is going to treat us in heaven. And if we've done great works in this life and and fulfilling our missions and and serving other people and, and sharing the gospel with them, all these different things, then we're going to be able to be with them in heaven and Heavenly Father is going to, to be so pleased. So. so what about the servant that didn't go and multiply his talents? What do you think the master was really upset about when he chastised him? His slothfulness. Yeah, he said slothfulness. What's that mean? That he's slow to obey. He was slow to obey, maybe lazy. He didn't want to work. What do you think he was afraid of? Why do you think he hid his talent? Because he was afraid of it being mocked. Yeah, how often we have this impression from the Lord, the Spirit, that we should go do this good thing. And we, because of fear of man, say, ooh, (laughs) they might make fun of me. I'll be noticed. Yeah. And in life, it makes me think of if you may only have one talent and you think, oh, they're much better suited for this calling that you're giving me. Why can't you pick them? They have so many talents. Why can't you pick them? It's it's like they're talking about. It's a multiplying process. It can give you more talents. It's meant for you not for them who already has that talent yeah that's so awesome it reminds me of the worst sandbox huh 
Like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not very good at that. You'll see how it's so important to put off the natural man and to do those hard things that we know we should, to act upon those promptings that the Spirit gives us. And what other ways do you guys find that using your gifts and talents to fulfill your missions is scary? To make you vulnerable. Yeah, you're really putting yourself out there to use your gifts and talents. You know, I think there's a lot of fears out there that, oh, I just need to get some steady job. And we really hold ourselves back. It's kind of like the equivalent of when we just went halfway up the mountain when we had the opportunity to do great good for Heavenly Father and, you know, fulfill these missions, these passions that He's given us. And we think, oh, well, I just need to go get a steady job and those passions are just for a hobby. But we really can, if we look around and see the needs that are out there, apply our gifts and talents to those needs and make it a job, make it a business that we can then go about it with, you know, our real goal in mind isn't to make money, but our real goal in mind is to help Heavenly Father's children and to serve Him. So it's it's definitely scary, and we want to bury our talent because it's fear that Satan's putting in us because he really doesn't want us to multiply our talents, and he really doesn't want us to be that great instrument for the Lord. Um, okay, so in the parable of ten virgins, we learned that we need a testimony of the gospel. And we need to be converted by living and keeping the commandments and our covenants so that we are steadfast and immovable. We are ready for the Savior to come. Now, in the parable of the talents, what's your take-home lesson as to what we need to do to be prepared? Use the things that we have been given to serve and to multiply um, what we have been given you think about it the parable of the talents can be a symbol of anything that the lord has given us like since we know the gospel we can share it with other people and our body is one of the gifts that heavenly father has given to us and with that we can serve and help other people yeah isn't that so awesome isn't that really what it means to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel we are helping others to be ready, to have that peace of conscience that when the Savior comes again, whether it's the second coming or when they stand before Him at that judgment day, that they are ready. They can be like those servants, the stewards that were ready. They had worked hard and multiplied their talents. They had shared the gospel. They had been doing all those things like the virgins to be converted. They were acting upon promptings to serve. They were studying their scriptures and being given increased wisdom and understanding. And the Lord is blessing them with more, more talents, more blessings in heaven for their, their actions and, and sharing the gospel and, and their talents with others. So whether it's we're vocally sharing our, our testimony or if it's through how we are living our fulfilling of our missions, those are all ways that help build up the Savior's kingdom and help bring people, his children, back to him at that day. All right, well, thanks for joining me and helping me to think about this in greater depth. I just wanted to wrap up this audio by leaving my testimony. I know that the sharing of the gospel is the only way we can solve the ills of our day and to be able to maintain a free country. 
Benjamin Franklin said, Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Close quote. That is where we are at in society, in need of masters because of our wickedness. We see the government taking more and more control to try and solve these ills. We are losing our freedoms, and the only way to get them back is to help the people become moral and virtuous again. They need the gospel. And we need to follow the Savior's invitation to Peter to become truly converted so that we can strengthen our brethren. I know we are loved and needed by our Heavenly Father. I hope that we will call upon Him for strength and courage to go about fulfilling our missions, helping to bring others to Christ. I pray that we will respond quickly to the promptings that come our way and be the Lord's first responders. I invite us to reflect on what is packed in our bags to see if they are the things that will help us on our journey and not weigh us down so that we can be powerful instruments in the Lord's hands. I also hope that we will be patient with ourselves, find joy in the journey, and keep our eyes fixed on our end goal to become like Christ. I'll see you next week.